You're listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane. Since 2007, the original jazz interview podcast. Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 538 for November 25th, 2020. On today's show, pianist Miki Yamanaka. This show exists because listeners become members. In fact, by the time of the next episode, I will be living in a van and traveling across the United States. To help me do that and keep bringing the Jazz Session to you while I'm doing it, become a member today for $5 or $10 a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. Mickey Yamanaka's new album is called Human Dust Suite. Manaka, welcome to the jazz session. Hey, thank you. Thanks. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's my pleasure to have you here. We're uh, here to talk about a new album called Human Dust Suite, uh, which is really, really cool. I really enjoy it. This album is kind of focused around a suite of music called the Human Dust Suite, um, which is uh, based on a visual a piece of art. Can you talk about that art and kind of where you saw it and why it inspired you to write music? I went to Chicago. I played at the Jazz Showcase and then I stayed there for like four or five days. I don't remember exactly, but you know, it's so awesome to get to stay in one city for that many days. So like I get, I got to explore the city of Chicago and I went to the Arts Institute of Chicago alone and like I was just you know had the audio guide and everything I was very ready like I was walking around everywhere it's a huge place and then I saw this really tiny photography it's really tiny it's like a hand size like like your palm like it's even smaller than that and it's just a photography of uh, human cremation and that photographer um, Agnes Dennis called that piece of art uh, of human dust. And I just stood there for like 30 minutes. I was like, dude, this thing is so powerful because that made me think that um, we die, we all die. We're going to turn to be the same thing. And then nowadays it's a lot of racism and sexism and all those problems and difficulties and stuff like that. They're always like around us. But why don't we like focus on like we're gonna end up the same thing anyway so just like sometimes just like i want people to just have a good life just focus on good part of like human beings and stuff like that so like it made me just a little thing really made me all those that so i was like okay i think i'm gonna write a suite about it like throughout the body and how i think about it and stuff like that that's the reason why i started 
do you turn a piece of inspiration like that into music? Like what what were the next steps when once you had seen that and thought I'll write something inspired by this? What happens next? Yeah, that's interesting. I think uh I've never done it. I've never done anything like that before. Like I that's not what I normally do. But uh this time I actually sat down the piano and it played a bunch of motifs and recorded on the voice memo, like over the phone. And then I was like, oh, I'm thinking about like human bodies and like stories and like using the same motif or like using the core changes. Oh, I'm going to tie this to that. But kind of more like a vague picture of that. Not like throughout composition just yet. Just not yet, but recorded a bunch of ideas throughout what I thought about, like I sometimes vocalized, I'm thinking about this right now. And that's all recorded on the voice memo. So like when I got home, when I had more time, I listened back. Like when I was very inspired, I was like, I sat down the piano and just played a bunch of things. And then I listened back again. And it's kind of refreshing that how I think about those stuff is already different in a way. So I was like trying to shape what I liked from those recordings and then wrote five competitions. Yes. And did you, did you, for example, have a, a copy of the photograph in front of you? Were you trying to call up, was it more like based on the emotions that the photograph called up? Can you, can you talk a little bit about the kind of the thought process? I mean, I know that when you're yeah. just improvising, you're not, you know, specifically thinking concrete things, but I'd be interested in, in how that translated. Yeah. Just more like the latter you said, um, it's more about the emotional process. It's not about the actual piece almost, you know, that feeling that made me feel that photography made it, made me feel like I still remember it very vividly. So I still do now. So like I was very more, much more clear back then. I was like, ah, this is so stunning. (laughs) I was so passionate about it too. I remember I was like, oh my God, this is so exciting to, to, you know, write something about it. So, yeah. Is the artist who made that photograph still alive? Uh, I think so. I can quickly like, Google it, but I no. I I was just so. curious whether you had sent sent her the the composition or anything like that. Um, I thought about it, but I, I didn't really want to offend her either. I'm just not really so confident about what I do. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I can't so imagine like, well, she would be offended. I would think she'd be really honored. Maybe I should do it. Nobody has said that to me before actually i mean think uh, about it if you wrote a piece of music and you went to a museum and someone had painted a painting based on it i mean i think that would be that would make you feel good wouldn't it yeah that's pretty cool right (laughs) i don't know i just like little i'm blushing like i just I'm too shy, maybe. I'll, I'll think about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, I can understand, you know, being shy or, or thinking it's, you know, oh, my stuff isn't good enough or something like that. But I mean, first of all, the piece is great. And then, you know, it just just the fact that something that she created was emotionally important enough to someone else for them to 
to create an entire suite of music, put the time into recording it, put it on an album, put it out in the world. I mean, you know, most people I'm sure just pass by most art in museums and they look at it for a few seconds. Maybe they read the caption and they walk on, you know, so what you've done is to, is to embody in a whole other way, this piece of art she created. I mean, it just seems like I can't imagine anything that would be greater as an artist than someone creating their own (laughs) art inspired by something I had done, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Wow. Now, like, I feel like I'm in like a art therapy or something. Okay, good. (laughs) Career therapy. Maybe you should talk to, you know, like, oh, that's cool. (laughs) Well, great. Like I'm, I'm inspired now. So yeah. Okay, good. Well, I want you to do it. And then I want in it, like whenever you do it, I want to call you, call you back and we'll do another little like (laughs) short follow-up piece, you know, where she, we find out what she said. Yeah. That would be, that would be awesome. That would be pretty thrilling. Yes. Thank you. Thanks for that advice. My pleasure. A quick break from the interview to remind you about becoming a member. At the $5 a month level, you get early access to just about every episode, plus you get a weekly track of the week where an artist or I talk about either one of their new tracks or a track that I like from back in the day. At the $10 level, you get all that plus a monthly bonus episode. Plus, you know, of course you get the satisfaction of supporting something you care about. After over 13 years and more than 500 episodes, I am so, so proud of the archive that the Jazz Session has become, and I would love it if you would be part of helping me carry it into the future. Thanks so much. Now back to the episode. So tell me then you so now you've got like the the basic structure of a piece when you were writing it did you already know either who or what kind of ensemble might be playing this music Um yeah yes and no like this particular player who played the alto saxophone his name is Anthony Orji um he's a good friend of mine and he's a very unique player um, not really mainstream, almost like I, I'm sorry, I shouldn't probably say that, but I don't think he's playing. It's very mainstream, pleasing play playing, like, especially coming from an alto saxophone player. Um, but his playing is very personal to me. So like when I was writing, especially the suite, I was really definitely thinking about his sound and the ensemble. And I, he actually plays bass clarinet and I wanted him to play but he had some financial issues that he couldn't fix the horn so 
you can just play the all the tunes on alto, but still sounded fantastic, better than I imagined. And then I definitely thought about that before writing it. Yes. Yeah, his sound is incredible, and it's it's so like once once you hear this music with that particular player playing the alto saxophone on it i mean it's it's so individual that i feel like the music you know with with almost anyone else i mean there are lots of great alto saxophone players but i feel like with almost anyone else it would sound very very different because he just doesn't sound like most saxophonists like you were saying yes yes Yes, I, I think so. Um, yeah, I got some reviews that like they did clearly didn't really appreciate the fact that uh, he was playing really like int- intimate, and I just loved the fact that he played like intimate. You know, just really the sound was what I was looking for, and nobody else plays with that sound. So there you go. Like I, I'm yeah. happy. <laughs> While we're yeah, talking. But- about the band, will you talk about the other people who are on the album? Yes. Um, so bassist is Orlando Left Lemming. He's a British bass player, but he lived, he's lived here for many years. So I think he's a New York bass player. He plays with a bunch of great players. Um, he played on my last record as well. I, uh, I love him and I love his playing so much that I cannot even think of better player to ask. Literally, I think that's the best best bass player that I can play now. That's alive. <laughs> that's what I think. So, and what is it yeah. about Orlando's playing that fits so well with what you do in particular? Um, I think he really understands what I like to do. And well, he, first of all, he's a really competent bass player, technique-wise, knowledge-wise and how he listens and stuff like that. But the fact that we play together uh, more throughout the years, um, he really knows my tendency, like weaknesses and a strong, like, you know, all those like good stuff and bad stuff, including all of that. He knows what I do. So he knows how to save me. And also he knows how to challenge me. He knows how to be around me musically. Um, so it's just like he, his playing inspires me so much, you know? So it, it's really huge part for me that I'm not the strongest piano player. So I want the inspiration coming from the other players that I'm playing with. That's why I call those musicians that I, maybe they're not like my closest friends, but I really get inspired by them playing you know, with playing music with them. And now let's move on to the drums. Tell me about that. Um, so Jochen, Jochen Rueckert is on the drums and he is also the same reason uh, as Orlando. They're both a little older than me. Um, they've been around the scene forever and they've played with a bunch of my heroes. And yeah, same thing. Uh, Jochen joined the band a little later and Orgy as well, but, uh, um, you know, the way he articulates the music, it's like drummer, if the, you change the drummer, the music changes, you know, but the drummer can do so much, like to change the color and palette and stuff like that. It's not just the chops and how loud and how quiet you are. 
So Jochen is very sensitive player, and he really digs the fact that I love swing, but also I like to play something more like a what's the word? Um, like a, hmm, what's the word? It starts with A. I can't remember. Adventurous. Uh, not adventurous because my playing is definitely not adventurous. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to remember. You can cut this thing, but hmm. uh, and angular? No, yeah, angular. angular is a word. Yeah, like yeah, just like a little quirky, like like little weirdness to it. Like I'm not just a typical, you know, jazz school graduate can shred a bunch of lines. That's not who I am, but. What I wanted to say was, y'all can really understand what I really like to do. Same, same as Orlando. So the fact that they know how I like to, how I want to sound, and they make me do that, is important. You know? So I've been uh, interviewing jazz musicians for 20 years, and I don't think I've ever interviewed anyone who in the same interview said, I'm not the greatest piano player, and my playing is definitely not adventurous. That, I'm not sure I've ever met anybody <laughs> who, while promoting their own album, has, has used those descriptions of their own playing, which uh, I think is, is fascinating. I mean, in one sense, there's like, it's very refresh, refreshingly self-aware if you know that like there's certain things that I do and certain things that I don't do and I'm not going to pretend I'm something I'm not like that's that's very cool like not everybody has to pretend to yeah. be everything it's just very surprising to hear somebody say that in the context of an interview like this yeah that's a good point because I should probably uh, pretend that hey listen to my record and like hear, hear me what I do you know, hear I'm what the I baddest do thing like ever that. <laughs> I, you know, I'm the shit, you know, listen to me, I, I, I've got this, I'm coming from Japan, straight from New York, you know, I could say that, I really could say that, but that's not who I am, and if people really get to listen to how I talk, like in this interview that you're putting together, thank you so much, um, I want them to hear who I am, you know, same as music, so I don't want to pretend even one second of who I am, you know, like I am... I wish I could be that confident and I wish, you know, I could pretend and stuff like that. And people, people like that more. But uh, if you really thought about checking me out, then maybe you should know who I am, really. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm going to say one thing that I'm really confident with the fact that I got to call those musicians and got to play with them. So... That's a very different thing. I'm not really confident with who I am, but I, I'm very confident that I got to play music with those guys and made the step up. So, yeah, that's what I can say. <laughs>
were talking earlier, you were talking earlier about one of the things that struck you most about the original photograph of human dust is the that in the end, we're all reduced to the same thing. And um, I'm not sure how how old you are, but you're you're from a city that was you know, really struck hard by tragedy in 1995 with the the earthquake in Kobe, Japan. And I don't know, because I don't know how old you are, I'm not sure if you were a tiny kid when that happened or if you were grown up or whatever, but um, did it seems like out of that, that many people's lives and probably perceptions of like how we all exist together get changed by an event like that. And I just, I'm curious whether... It affected you or your family, um, you know, in some way that maybe is still with you to this day. And if that's not the case, feel free to say that, too. Um, Interesting, man. Interesting points. I really appreciate that. Um, So I I'm from Kobe. I when the earthquake happened, that's in 95 uh, in Kobe that I was still I was living in Kyoto, actually, with my family. But. My family remembers that uh, I woke up really early in the morning. It was around 5 a.m., I think. Uh, but then because I grew up in Kobe, so like I got a bunch of earthquake education throughout the entire like public school education, I think. Every year we visit monuments and we study about those people who, you know, how to uh, leave their house and stuff like that, you know. And then bunch of my friends actually lost families and stuff. So we definitely, I mean, I learned a lot about it and I majored earth science when I was in college. So, you know, that's in definitely in my life. And I still think about that, like natural disaster, you know, like can totally cause many, many deaths. And like now, like COVID-19 killing bunch of people. You know, like that definitely it's yeah, it's part of my life. And I think about that. Yes, indeed. Okay, so you said something in there that, of course, I have to follow up on, which is that you majored in earth science in college. And now I'm interviewing you because you're a jazz piano player in New York City. So (laughs) (laughs) there's a story in there somewhere. (laughs) What's that? What's that story? Yes. Um, sorry that, you know, we, we don't know each other, so you don't really know me. Um, so I, my dad is a meteorologist, so I wanted to do that. So I went to the earth science major, but then I ended up, it's really popular in my ear. So like I couldn't take that cause I was really not a good student. So I ended up studying, um, seismology, which studies earthquake. Right. So I did study uh, seismology like most of uh, my college years in Japan, and I uh, was going to work in the nuclear power plant, uh, earthquake, like estimate, whatever, like those calculations and all those stuff. I was going to do that. I really was going to do that. Then uh, I, at the same time, I had some friends who liked jazz, who influenced me with a bunch of recordings like Sonny Clark and Lynn Kelly and stuff like that. And I grew up listening to Count Basie and playing in the jazz big band growing up. So I knew a little bit about jazz. So uh, long story short, I majored science because that's how you make money. I thought I didn't think that music is how you make money. You know, I think that's a very reasonable thing to 
<laughs> not to right? think. Right? <laughs> you know, like my parents are like, oh, hell no. <laughs> not gonna be a musician. Oh no 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 way! And I was like, yeah, I know, I know, right? Like I know, I knew it. Like when I was in high school, it's like definitely not music school. Mm-mm, you know, I was playing piano, but like not really good anyway. So what is the point? I'm just gonna keep playing with my friends, but um, I will study something else. So I got to study seismology. That was pretty cool. I still enjoyed it very much, and I'm still fascinated with it you know, still now and still check some news and stuff like that. But, uh, um, yeah, just a weird coincidence that I visited New York for just a six days vacation in the summer when I was in, uh, masters doing masters in Japan and I fell in love in New York and I just, next thing I realized I quit my masters and I moved to New York. So I don't know. It's really crazy life. Wait, did you fall in love with New York or did you fall in love yeah. with someone in New York? I could oh, no, I didn't no. understand from but the way the, you said it. I fell I fell in love in like with like the New York. The city okay. I was going to say cuz yeah. in 6 days that's pretty impressive if you met someone <laughs> fell in love and decided <laughs> to quit college and move here. <laughs> Yeah, that is nuts. No, no, I, I wasn't that stupid, but I was pretty stupid doing it. <laughs> Let me take just a moment to thank the folks who make the jazz session possible, starting with the members who support it, and also the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music, and Dave Rabel for the logo. Chuck Ingersoll is the voice of the intro. Hire him at hearchucknow.com. Follow the Jazz Session on Twitter at jazzsesh, J-A-Z-Z-S-E-S-H, and on Instagram at the Jazz Session. Take a second right now to rate and review the Jazz Session on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It greatly improves my ability to reach new listeners. And if you'd like to keep up with my podcast, my poetry, my van travels, and more, you can subscribe to my newsletter. Go to thejazzsession.com and click on the newsletter link. Now, back to the episode. What did your folks say when you said, "Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna drop this master's thing and go play, go play music in New York City"? Oh no, definitely 
not like that. I, I said dropped off, but I did, uh, I didn't quit it right then. I just took a break. Okay. And I wanted to come here for a year just to be able to speak English. I couldn't speak any English back then. So, um, I just wanted to do that. So like I convinced my mom, especially my mom was really not agreeing, you know, so, Oh no, no, you're not moving to the States. No, no, no. You stay here. So I just wanted to convince her because she can speak English. So she was like, oh, that's a cool, good idea. Like, if you can speak English, maybe you can work in a better position. Right. Cool. So you were smart. You, smart. you knew who your audience was and you you yeah, made the right definitely. pitch. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's right. Yes. So how did you start when you did come to New York? How did you start getting involved in music here? Um, yes. Um, so I went to English school. That's how I got to keep my visa, student visa. I got to study English. Okay. Um, I did that in the morning, and but uh, every night I went out to jazz clubs. I went to see my friends playing, or even meeting friends. Before meeting friends, I just went out, like went to a bunch of sessions, like Cleopatra's Needle, Small, Fat Cat. Um, Zinc bar, like you name everywhere. Well, like if I have friends now, then I go see my friends playing and then I get to sit in, stuff like that. I literally went out every night. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even joking. No, I believe you. Joking about this. You sound like you're serious. Yeah. Yes, I'm serious. Yes, I did that. <laughs> and I really enjoyed it. I still like going out, really can't right now, but I like going out. Yeah. And was there. I mean, did it kind of just slowly build that you thought, oh, maybe this is a thing I could do instead of what I was planning to do? Mm, not so much. I think I was still young at that point. I didn't really think about the future so much, even though I definitely wanted to work as a scientist at that point. I thought that's just like a one-time one time, once in lifetime thing that if I get to do this one time, I will not regret with my decision. So I just wanted to enjoy my life in the fullest way. So I would still like, oh, I love doing this. I love going out, checking out music, getting better at practice every day, meeting new people, getting better at speaking English. Like, this is great. This is going great. That's Oh, I was thinking. Then I went to, I had to move back to Japan because of my visa and stuff like that. But I decided to come back to actually quit my science master and then came to uh, Queen's College, went to Queen's College to get music master's degree. Uh, I did that. And tell me, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, no, no. Yeah, I'm just confused because I still didn't think that I would be a musician then. Even, Even when you I, were going to get a degree in music? Yeah, it's it's crazy. I just didn't think that that would work out. So I didn't have gigs much. I just, you know, I, I, I was a huge fan of music, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I just don't know how it happened, but it just worked out, I guess. <laughs> so I know that you got selected for Betty Carter's Jazz Ahead, right? The yes, the. Yeah. Uh, composition residency at the Kennedy Center. Did you, can you talk, tell me about that? Tell me what that was like and how it happened. Um, yes, look, it's so funny. Like my friend, you know, a friend in DC area, he told me like, did you 
ever auditioned this thing? It's like it's in D.C. And I went to D.C. a lot because I had a really good friend of mine who hired me to play in her all-female big band and stuff like that. Back then, I didn't have any gigs. So, like, I was, like, always going to D.C. with Megabus with $1 and stuff like that. It was really fun. Anyway, that was a side story. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I was, like, oh, D.C. is cool. I like it. Then my friend told me. And then, why don't you try it? I was, like, oh, sh- shoot, I should try that. And then I saw the guideline, whatever. And then I am actually too little bit too old to apply for this thing. I think the has to be I have to be under thirty no no twenty five under twenty five on that starting day and I'm gonna turn to twenty five seven days before. Okay. So I was like, Oh, dude, should I do it? And like everybody was like, You gotta try it man, they like international people, you female and you are actually good and they were nice. Whatever. So I was like, Okay, I'll try it and I I did it and I sent it and then they took me. I was like Miracle, that's great. And I got to study with Jason Moran, Cyrus Chestnut, and Eric Holland, like big names, but actually great cats and like really respects the music and they really kicked our butts, you know, in the best way. So that experience was really, really, yeah, crucial, really valuable in my career, I think. Yeah, that shaped me more like, how do I want to sound? What do you want to do? Like, really, like, made me think a lot. So I know right at this moment, of course, because of the pandemic, there's not there's not a ton going on in terms of uh, the you know the club scene and touring and all that. But can you talk about some of the projects you're involved with, both your own and others with others? Um, okay, cool. I just actually last weekend I did my own quartet gig at Smalls um, that featured Mark Turner, great saxophone saxophonist. Uh, uh, I didn't even think that I would get to play with Mark, but thanks to COVID, I guess, Mark is chilling too. Mark wanted to play as well, and then Mark plays with Orlando at the Oakland Watch. So he has been playing with us. We played a couple gigs this year, thankfully, thanks to Spike Wilner, who's who owns the Smallest Jazz Club. He's been really good to me, and uh, he gave me opportunity to bring my music there. And, um, and I'm playing at 
I'm playing at Smalls again this weekend with the great Philip Harper. He's a trumpet player who worked with Art Blakey and Mingus Band, just toured all over the world and knows a lot about the heart of pockets and music, you know. I and people can watch that kind of, online, right? Yeah, online. Yes, definitely. Definitely so, online for free. Because this is this interview is coming out on Wednesday, the 25th of November, 2020. Will you tell people specifically when the show is so they can watch it online? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, so I'm playing with Philip Harper Quintet this weekend on the 28th of November. And uh, that starts at 5 p.m. and 7 p.m. two sets. And if you're in New York, you can come see us, too few seats available. Um, if you're not, you can watch us online on YouTube, Facebook, or their website, Small Sales Club. Um, yeah, we're playing two sets of super hard books, so <laughs> I hope you can join us, I guess. Yeah. And are there other people that you're playing with? I know you've um, been in like Roxy Costa's group and and other bands too. Are there other folks you're you're currently or regularly playing with when there is playing to be done? Um, I'm Tony Hart, great outdoor player who I met from Queens College when I went there, and uh, he's been hiring me for his gigs for the last two or three years. But he's very busy teaching, and he's a professor there. So when his time allows me. Got to go to South Korea and Taiwan, stuff like that. It's really, it's really great experience to play with him. Well, that's awesome, and I encourage everybody to, uh, well, first of all, to check out the album Human Dust Suite, which is which is great, and it it just it. It doesn't sound like a lot of stuff that's out now. Uh, certainly helped by um, the saxophone playing, but just the the compositions, everything. I really, I really dug it. So I, I think folks should uh, definitely check it out. And then we know now that on Saturday, um, and I'll make sure this is in the show notes of this episode, uh, that you can watch uh, Mickey along with the Philip Harper Quintet uh, at Smalls, and you can do that either in New York City or you can do it anywhere in the world if you've got internet access, which I assume you do because you're listening to this right now. <laughs> Uh, Miki Yamanaka has been my guest. Her new record is called Human Dust Suite. It's really, really good. And uh, Miki, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much, Jason. Um, It was a fun time. Thanks to my guest this week, Miki Amanaka. If you value what you just heard, become a member for 5 or $10 a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. And then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye. Bye.